A very good morning to our church worshiping in 155 Fair Fairway Drive in the parking area. I want to make a special encouragement and just appreciation to you. You are braving the call to come together. So make yourself comfortable either under the sun, they will warm you up. Uh, if some of you feel just especially cold, in the courtyard, we have two propane heater there. Hopefully, there's still enough space around that heater that you can keep uh, physical distancing and get some heat and warm up a little bit there. Others, you can choose to be inside your car. Hopefully, your, your, your window can shield some of the uh, cold air, and that will make you feel comfortable as we uh, come together for worship. And those who are on the live streaming and later on watching the recorded worship, just want to say uh, a very good Sunday to you. Thank God that we can worship together and continue to have our outdoor worship. Uh, every time when we get together, we should not neglect those who make this possible by coming early, uh, ushering us in, traffic control, uh, hospitality, the, especially the AV team and the worship team. They have prepared uh, their hearts uh, to get us ready to come together. So it is such a great privilege for us to uh, serve together and also serve our congregation so that we are able to come to the outdoor worship. You know, Christianity generally uh, plays higher value on our soul than our physical body. See, the physical body is mortal. Our soul is immortal, so it sounds like it is more important. And it feels like the soul is being locked in this prison called physical body. And if we are separated from the body, then our soul will be freed. And more, our bodies are capable of becoming instruments of sin. So we don't always look favorably on our bodies. But you know what? The Bible places high value in our physical bodies because our bodies are created by God. In the preaching this Sunday, in the first Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 12. And Paul is teaching us how to use our body properly, the proper use of our physical body. Now, let me give you the background of the church in Corinth. Some men in the Corinthian church are going to the prostitutes and are arguing for the right to do so. That since they are spiritually united with Christ, and, and therefore, whatever they do with their physical bodies do not affect them. So Paul, beca Paul begins his teaching by correcting two false rationalizations of this man. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 14 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. See, two slogans being spoken in the church in Corinth as rationalizations for an ongoing relationship with prostitutes. Unthinkable, but it happened. The first rationalization, the first slogan is, all things are lawful to me, all things are lawful to me. It is mentioned two times, meaning we are freed, we are free, we can do whatever we want. 
Paul spent 18 months to plant the church in Corinth and teach the church in Corinth. And when he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, it was about three, four years since he planted the church. It is a pretty young church, young and immature Christians. So it is likely that they have heard Paul's teaching on our new identity in Christ that set us free from the Old Testament laws and Old Testament uh, sacrifices and, and things like that. But they push it further by justifying that if that's the case, if we are free, then it is okay for them to continue visiting prostitutes like they did before, before they were Christians. Unthinkable. Paul quickly made the corrections that freedom in Christ comes with responsibilities. He says, yes, all things are lawful for me, but all things must be helpful as well. The responsibility that it is something edifying, it is something admirable, it is something beneficial and good. So yes, free, but helpful. But secondly, it should not be dominating. Yes, all things are lawful for me, but it should not control you. It should not gain control over you and master over you. Why? Because we belong to Christ. Freedom and responsibilities are equally important. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's Paul's teaching. The second rationalization in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is for food. They keep saying that, almost becoming like a slogan. This is another rationalization that they try to fulfill every desire of their hearts. Just do it. Do whatever you want. Since food is for stomach and stomach is for food, just meet the needs and go for it. You know, Paul is essentially agreeing with the slogans that food belongs to the present age and God will do away with them both at the end. So the Corinthians, having this slogan, they argue that since everything is permitted and since food is for the stomach and stomach is for food and God will destroy them both in the end, and since all bodily appetites, and, and uh, uh, since bodily appetites are alike, and that means the body is for sex, and sex is for the body. If you need it, just fulfill the need. Because God will destroy them both in the end after all. See, they push that slogan and push that rationalization to the max and to try to cater to their sex appetite. Paul quickly made the corrections that the body is not for sexual immorality, but it is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And it is not destined for destruction, but for resurrection. And the proof is that Christ has resurrected as the first fruits. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The food and the stomach will be done with when we passed in this world. But the body it will be resurrected and be with the Lord with a new resurrected body. It is not what you think, that you can use the body for sexual desire 
to fulfill that sexual desire in your heart in whatever way you want. The body is for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. He redeemed us. He redeemed our body. So that body is not for you and I to have the final say, but Christ has the final say. Two rationalizations being corrected. You know, why do we come up with excuses? Why do we have rationalizations? When you know it is wrong, but you still want to do it anyway, that's when you come up with rationalizations. In Romans chapter 6, the Christians in Rome use some kind of a rationalization that God's grace is sufficient for me. So if I sin more, then God's grace abounds even more. That's a good thing. Wrong. Wrong. Paul says, may it never be. Absolutely no way. He refuted that strongly. You know, sometimes we say, God knows my heart, so I don't need to come to worship and serve Him. But if you have the full counsel of God teaching, you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, that's what happened to us when we look for a rationalization. We look for piecemeal. We look for a partial truth and try to justify it for our actions so that we can go on. What has been the rationalization you have employed lately? One of the most common rationalization or excuses that I've heard from Christians is, later, later, when I graduate, later. When I graduate, I will. When I get married, I will. When I settle down, I will. When I finish my housing payment, then I will go for short-term missions. When I am retired, then I will. That's another rationalization that we often use to excuse God's prompting for us to respond to His call. You see, wrong theology, wrong actions, it always come together. Christ does not set us free so that we can do whatever we want to do. Christ set us free so that we can do whatever God wants us to do. It is a freedom to glorify God, not a freedom to indulge in sexual immorality. It is not a freedom to sin. It is a freedom not to sin. So Paul corrected the wrong rationalization so that we can use our body properly for the glory of God. And secondly, he reminds us that we need to break the bond with prostitute. Verses 15 to 17. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The second teaching about how to properly use our body is to remember that you need to break the bond of your sexual immorality engagement. That bond has to be broken. This is how Paul argues against prostitution. Okay. What is the nature of sexual intercourse? That it is to become one body with her, just like the union of a husband and wife. What is the nature of 
Christian conversion? It is to be a member that belongs to Christ. And these two unions are mutually exclusive. They cannot be worked together. And therefore, it is unthinkable that Christians will detach from a union with Christ and attach to the body of prostitute. He says, never, never, not possible. On what basis? On the basis of Galatians 2, verse 24. Galatians uh, uh, in verse 16 says, Do you not know that those who is joined to a prostitute become one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It says a man shall leave his father and his mother. Independence and maturity is the foundation of the new family that is being nurtured. And secondly, you do the whole fast to your wife forever. The relationship is for life. It's a lifelong commitment. And then it says, and they shall become one flesh. The physical union produces children as the Lord has mandated. Be fruitful and multiply is part of the mandate that God has given for marriage. That when you are married, you become one flesh. You are joined together. And the sexual intercourse, the two bodies become one. This is how a man and a woman become one in marriage. But however, Paul continues in verse 17 that the union between the believer and Christ is of an even deeper and more significant union. It is not simply the union of the flesh, but it is the union of spirit. It is for eternity. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are united with Christ, waiting for His full redemption, culminating in a redeemed body, a new and resurrected body, and to be united with Him. So that's why in verse 14, He reminds us that, and God raised the Lord, and we shall also raise up by His power. You know, when you engage in fornication, sexual immorality, it is more complex than you think. You are not merely deriving sexual pleasure for yourself. You are joined together with that individual. It is deeper than physical, and it tends to remain in your memory for a long, long time. And it floods your emotions when it is triggered. It stays in your mind. It stays in your heart. See, the body affects the soul and vice versa is a well-known human experience. Physical and emotion are interconnected. It is like your mother's cooking or it is like your hometown comfort food. When that unique aroma comes to your nostril, it easily triggers your memories of your mother or your longing for your hometown. Even after many, many years, it becomes a part of your DNA in that way. And same for fornication. Paul exhorts us to break that bond because when you join with a prostitute, you are joining together with her like husband and wife. And it sticks with you. It stays in you. 
That's why a Christian writer reminds us that because sex reflects the most intimate of interpersonal relations among humans, it should be reserved for the most permanent of interpersonal commitments. And that's the wedding vow that we vow for each other. We give oath to each other for life. And it is with that protection that the physical intimacy can be enjoyed by husband and wife. And anything outside of that is fornication. And that is against the biblical teaching. Paul corrected their misconception, corrected their rationalization, and reminded them that they need to cut off that bond with uh, sexual immorality and prostitute in the case of the church in Corinth. And finally, he reminds the church to flee from sexual immorality in verses 18 to 20. In verses 18 to 20, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a person uh, commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. He says, flee, flee from sexual immorality. He's talking about all forms of unbiblical sexual promiscuity whether it is before marriage, whether it is outside of marriage, whether it is same sex, he says flee, flee from this sexual immorality. Flee means to run away. Flee means don't lingo. As Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 describes and exhorts, the blessed man is the one who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and do not stand in the way of sinners, and do not sit in the seats of scoffers. Do you see that three actions? First of all, you follow at a distance, and then you begin to stand and linger, and then you begin to sit and dwell on it. He says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. It is like Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 39, when he was seduced by Potiphar's wife, verse, Genesis 39 verse 13 says, But he had left his garment in her hand and fled and get out of the house. She was grabbing to the garment. And for Joseph, I don't want to linger. Even shed off the garment and run away as far away as fast as he can and never look back. That's the idea of flee, flee sexual immorality. And in verse 18, he reminds us that the sins of sex is a sin against their bodies. See, fornication is a serious sin because it involves placing the body under the control of another illegitimate partner. In the case of the church in Corinth, it's a prostitute. But in verses 19 to 20, it reminds us that our body is the Lord's. No other sin has this result by bonding yourself with another person in such a way, almost like a married couple. So all other sins are outside the body, but the sexual sin, we sin against our own body in that sense. 
Why should we flee from sexual immorality? Verses 19 and 20, Paul reminds us, first of all, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, remember? You are not your own because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember in chapter 3, Paul, verse 16, Paul taught the Corinthians that the Corinthian church was a temple. And anyone destroyed the temple, God will destroy that person. And here, it reminds the believers that your body is also a temple. And the Holy Spirit is actually indwelling in each of these temples, each of the Christian in the church in Corinth. It is a gift to us. It is from God as a down payment to prove that we are children of God and we can cry out, Abba, Father, in that way, the work of the Holy Spirit. And consequently, we have a moral obligation to the giver, the giver of the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. We have a moral obligation. And moreover, because He dwells in us, we belong to Him. We don't belong to us. So flee, flee sexual immorality because your allegiance is to the Master, is to the Holy Spirit. And so the second reason we must flee sexual immorality is because you are bought with a price. Verse 20 says, For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God has purchased every Christian with a great price, the blood of Jesus that is shed on the cross. So we belong to Him. We are purchased like in Romans' day, in the slavery market, someone will purchase a slave and their slaves belong to the owner. So in the same picture, Christ purchased us from darkness and bring us into light, from death and bring us into life. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for Christ because we belong to Him. And because of that, we should glorify God in our bodies rather than degrading Him through fornication. Christ's redemption leads us to faithfulness to God, including our physical bodies are to be faithful to the Lord. So glorify God, meaning magnify God in your bodies. Let God shine in your bodies. Take God seriously in the way you use a body. That's the proper use of your body and my body. The message today I want to remind you and to summarize it is that Christ redeemed and freed us so that we can glorify God in our bodies. Very simple statement that is taught by the Bible. Christ redeemed us and He freed us not to sin but to glorify God in our bodies. In the application, I want to share three thoughts with you. First of all, your body matters to God. Our bodies matter to God. This is a body that He has created. And this is a body that He has redeemed. And the significance of our physical body is such that, first of all, it, uh, it, we will have a new resurrected body and to, to be dwelling with Christ forever. That body is still there. 
it is in a resurrected form. We don't know how it is, but we still have that body when we are resurrected with Christ. Secondly, the Bible always used the body metaphor to describe the community of believers. Christ is the head, the church is the body. You and I are members of this body, and that's how significant your body and my body is. And thirdly, remember Christ's incarnation. Christ took on human body. In John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ put on human flesh. And you know what? When He rose from the dead, when He ascended to the heavenly place, He ascended with the nail-pierced hands and spear-pierced side when He went back to the heavenly Father and sit on the right side of the heavenly Father. So even with the spiritual body, but the, the physical body's signs and the scars and the significance of the redemption carries with Him all the way back to the heavenly place. That's the importance of the physical body, even for Christ, even though He has a God's body, which is different from us. And therefore, when we think about the body, we need to remember Romans chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul exhorts the Christians by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. A body is precious. A body matters to God. Our bodies are created by God. So offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It is precious. Your hands and your feet, your eyes and your ears and your mouth and your brain, they all matter. Use it for the glory of God. That's the takeaway for the message today. Secondly, remember, sex is a powerful drive. And the flood of seductive images all around us to post before us a challenge for us to overcome sexual temptations. But Paul reminds us that we are not alone. Because even as we face these temptations, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God that fills our hearts. We have the community of believers that we belong to as a body of Christ. And you know what? We carry all this with us as we face sexual temptations. So we have more layers of protection than we remembered. It is not you facing that temptation alone, but the Holy Spirit, but Christ, the Word of God, the community of believers. Together, we face sexual temptations. And by God's grace, we overcome it. And finally, I'm going to share with you that the compartmentalization of faith is a constant struggle. The compartmentalization of faith that the church in Corinth experienced is real in those days, it is also real in our days that you can talk about something and live very differently. You can claim to be Christian and you can still do things against God's will and dwell in it and habitually dwell in them. Compartmentalization of faith is a constant struggle. So James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. 
if you are only hearers of God's Word, faithfully doing Bible studies, coming for sermons, watching YouTube sermons of your favorite speakers, you are only deceiving yourself because it is only half done. It is only half the equation. The other half is be doers of God's Word because the teaching and the preaching of God's Word is for the purpose of transformation of life, to let it be visible in our lives. Ephesians 4 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You have been called to be children of God. You have been called to be witnesses. You have been called to uh, continue to walk with Him, to be Christ-like. So walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Be consistent with that calling. Manifest that calling. That's the idea. Compartmentalization is never the intention of God's Word. It is for the transformation of our life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 to 10 says, Put off the old self, the old sinful nature. Put on the new self, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of God's Word, doing God's will. That's the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The new self is created by God as a new creation in Christ. So lift that out as we continue to journey together. No wonder, no wonder, after a long sermon, very long sermon, in fact, three chapters, in Matthew 5 to 7 on the Sermon of the Mount, after the long sermon, at the conclusion of that sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and onwards, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So when the flood comes, when the wind blows, when the water rushes, the house will stand firm on the rock. But those who hear those words of mine and does not do it, they were like a foolish man who built a house on the sand. And when the water comes, the flood comes, and the wind blows, the house will crumble and the destruction will be huge. Same idea, same idea. Compartmentalization is a constant struggle, but compartmentalization is not the ideal, is not the intention of the teaching of God's Word. And that's why. When we said we, we try to be a vibrant church of disciple makers, we said there are four indicators of a vibrant church. To love passionately, and secondly, to live authentically. Authentic Christian life is one of the indicators of a vibrant church. So in the coming days, my dear brothers and sisters, we, we will continue to be marginalized as bigots or narrow-minded, as unloving, even as a hate group. And many may label us in that way when we stand firm in God's Word. It is what we do that will turn the tide around because we've been labeled, because we've been marginalized. It is hard to defend ourselves. The only way you can defend is not by argument. The voices is too strong. The argument that we can have is to show them God's love. 
as Jesus reminded his disciples, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Love our neighbors. Serve our neighbors. Be a servant to our community. When people see that, they know that when we stand firm in God's truth, we are actually loving them by helping them to see the truth of God and live a life of freedom in Christ. And this is how we use our body to glorify our God. And that's the proper use of our body. And I pray that this message will call you and me to respond when our church continue to press on and come back with the new building and with all these facilities available to us, we'll be able to serve our neighbors, serve our community for the glory of God. That's how we use our body. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your reminder. It is a challenge for us to use our body for your glory because we have weaknesses, because we find excuses. We look for rationalizations. Lord, we pray that you will remind us that we are the temple of God and you have redeemed us with a precious uh, price, your precious blood. And we don't belong to us, we belong to you and we can never bond ourselves in a sexual immorality with another person. We can only be bonded with Christ because Christ is our Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will give us that ability, give us the church as a community and the Holy Spirit in our hearts to remind us that we will be pure. We will be the Lord's. We only belong to you. We'll be bonded with Christ only. Teach us to know how to press on by showing God's love to our neighbors and to our community so that we'll be able to glorify you in our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.